All right, it's it's uh, it's Saturday, the sixteenth of January, two thousand sixteen, and that makes this solder smoke. And I know the number, Pete Giuliano, one eighty four. One eighty four. One eighty four. There you go. Good, mo- good morning from Northern Virginia. Good morning from the left coast. Thanks for getting up early once again to talk to us, Pete. Got a lot to cover. But I know you haven't been melting a lot of solder. No, I sure haven't. Uh, for, for those who've read my blog and maybe uh, via other emails, uh, my XYL has been in the hospital for about three weeks now. So it's really, really limited the uh, time that I can spend on, on radio and the blog. And I just made a re, re-entry in the blog uh, just the other day because she's getting better. And hopefully soon she'll be coming out of the hospital and... My iron has rust on it. <laughs> well, you know, I need it, to eat but, up the iron. <laughs> but but when you know, Pete and I've been uh, you and I've been, been I've been getting email updates from you, and we've been we've been concerned about about your XYL. But I as I as I watched you struggle because struggle through this, and I know it's been been a struggle. I I thought about the last podcast we did. We talked about the radio amateur's code. Yes. And one of the elements there is the radio amateur is balanced and he does not allow his hobby to interfere with his responsibilities. I told Elisa, I said, Pete lives that because when duty calls, the soldering iron is placed aside and uh, and off you went to take care of the family. So uh, three cheers for, for Pete Giuliano. And I, I also see Pete, I, I thought about this this morning on your Skype thing. I don't know if you, you, you have a, a little phrase there underneath your name on Skype. It says, the tough get going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going gets tough. The, the tough, tough gets get going. going. Yeah. yeah. But I got to make a terrible confession, okay? Thank you no. for your kind words, but uh, the wife spent a lot of time in intensive care and was in emergency rooms. and. Uh, I know for, what you're going to say. Uh, for Go a ahead. period of time, they, they put her out. But all the while, I kept looking at all these pieces of hardware. <laughs> they They had some of these neat forceps and I said man oh, man one of those you know hey listen remember in in the original cartoon that gave us the phrase the knack Scott Adams yeah. and Dilbert yeah. Dilbert's in the doctor's office yeah. Yeah. and the mother is talking about his condition and while she's talking Gilbert is play, Dilbert is playing with the gear yeah, yeah. They, you you've got it, yeah, man. You've yeah, got it. Well, you know, you can't big time. Matter of fact, the most recent one. Well, when when you're in intensive care and emergency room, man, they got hoses and plugs and sensors everywhere. But now she's got a uh, device that monitors everything. It's it's a little bit bigger than a pack of cigarettes, and mm. everything feeds into this. And and it's they got a telemetry unit in there. Everything goes. Matter of fact, the nurse came into the room last night. She says one of your sensors is disconnected. I said, how do you know that? <laughs> she said, because we're reading it, you know, like uh, n- nearly a quarter of a mile away. They're reading it, <laughs> saying, <laughs> you know, they go there and fix this thing. So uh, yeah, yeah, you you just offered to open it up and put a new 741 op. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do it, you do it, you do it. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope she's getting. But glad yep. to hear she's getting yep, better. True. And uh, and uh, and soon the the rust will be removed from the soldering iron. I, I didn't and, believe uh, it could rust, but it's rusting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got a lot to report here, Pete, and and a lot of it is your 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 doing. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because you know, a while back, I, I mentioned just in a vague kind of general way my d- desire to get on 160 meters, and then you and Steve Silverman and I 
all started talking about how long we've been radio amateurs. And I think it's what? It's some, something like 2,000 years between the three of us. <laughs> yeah, something yeah, like that. No, right. no, no. Wait, wait, no, it's 100 and how about 150 yeah, years. Yeah. That's for real. And none of us have been on top band. Well, so, you have. Well, we hadn't, yeah, I hadn't yeah, before, yeah. before this. That's the thing. So we made, and I, you know, you think you make these suggestions and they just sort of go out <laughs> there, but you have a lot more influence than you realize. <laughs> you know, I, I, I dubbed you in a recent blog post, the, um, uh, the prophet of the radio gods, go. <laughs> the Oracle of Newberry park. You say things and then all over the world, people find themselves compelled to do them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you, you did that on 160 and you just said casually, yeah, hey, yeah, maybe straight key night, maybe straight key night. Or oh, the next thing you know, I find myself fanatically committed to sending signals out on straight key night on 160 meter CW. Wow. So, um, <laughs> you know, Billy, Billy kind of looked at me on like December 22nd and he kind of sighed. And he said, what am I going to get you for Christmas, dad? And I said, oh man, I said, I'll take care of it. I'm going to send you, um, a list of parts that I need. And it was all the stuff I needed to put up the 160-meter antenna. You know, I've, I've reached the point where the, the scraps of wire that I have laying around the shack no longer suffice, especially on 160 meters where the antennas are huge. Um, so I had to buy some copper wire. And that stuff is expensive now. Oh, yeah. Copper. Man, I had to get some wire. I had to get a replacement uh, rubber band for the uh, wrist rocket slingshot. I had to get some monofilament. I had to get some some paracord. I figured I was going to do this right. I had to get some of those one ounce lead weights, the whole thing. So I sent the email to Billy. The order was placed. And um, right around Christmas time, box came in. And uh, there we go. So now it's the time to put up the 160 meter antenna. And I hate, I don't really hate, I don't like working on antennas. Some guys are antenna guys. Some guys are bench guys. I'm a bench guy. Are you, are you, you had fun with that antenna project. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, I but mean, it's but, mostly but, bench. It's that was that was a one of. Yeah, and I mean wires up into the trees, man. It's, <laughs> you know, the the neighbors think you're nuts. You're the, you're sitting out there. If you're and if you're in a kind of a high population density neighbor neighborhood like mine, every time you shoot one of these little lead lead weights up into the tree, or you know, <laughs> running the risk of serious like, lawsuits. So, so somebody calls Homeland Security, right? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Not allowed, not allowed to launch, use slingshots with inside the beltway yeah. or something like that. But anyway, and then I'm, I'm not good at it because I always end up managing to get wires wrapped around the branches and it goes up into the wrong branch and I end up going up 20 feet, not the 70 feet that I wanted, but I decided to plan it. Planning is good. Yes. Design, build. Yes. Plan, shoot. So I got out there and I don't have any real sophisticated um, you know, fishing reels or, uh, I, I briefly thought about getting one of these spud rocks, spud yeah, launchers, yeah. tennis ball, compressed air tennis ball launchers. But that was, I think a, a bit much because I was only going to put up, I, I, I needed to get this wire up as high up as I could, which I figured was about 70 feet up and then over to another tree that was also about 70 feet up and then down so that I would have uh, a quarter wave on 160, which I think is about 125 feet, something like that. But then I read in one of the uh, the British antenna books that you might be better off going with a um, yeah, a three eighths wave. So uh, I went with that. So the thing ended up a bit longer. It ended up about uh, about 185 feet. But 
Man, the radio gods were with me, Pete. Two shots, one right over the branch that I wanted. Boom, up there. So the wire goes up. Then I go over the other tree. Boom, right where I wanted it. Now, I was aided by the fact that it's like, it's 20 degrees C. It's like 70, 70 degrees Fahrenheit here. Church sleep weather. At Christmas time. Holy cow, I'm out there enjoying it. It's great. Birds are chirping. The trees are blooming. It's kind of weird because it's December. But hey, you know, it's, it's good for the antenna. So... I get the antenna up into the tree. I've already put down the ground system. Kind of a, you know, not a, you, you could go nuts with a ground system. You can go nuts with a radio system. You know that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit later on I mean, we, we get the, when we get to the mailbag or, or a little bit later. But I have like four or five radials out. Several of them are about a quarter wave length long. I have them stretched out like along the, the, perim, uh, the perimeter fence of the property. I have one kind of wrapped around the foundation of the house. I have one big ground stake going into the dirt. And then I, I, wa- I wanted to keep the tuner. You're going to need a tuner of some sort. So I wanted to keep the tuner out of the shack just to keep the RF out of the shack. So I have coax. I have RG8 going out of the, uh, the DX100. And it goes out to the backyard. It goes to the point right at the base of the antenna where I have the ground stake and the end of the, the uh, inverted L wire. And I really, quick and dirty, made an L-network tuner. I had an old variable capacitor out of a Johnson Viking. Uh, and I had one of these roller inductors, one of these old roller inductors. And so I just hooked them up, inverted L, and I actually used clip leads to hold the whole thing together. I got like a little um, piece of wood that they're sitting on. And boom, 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 I put the whole thing together. And I had a little SWR with me out there in the backyard. I put a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of RF into the system, and then I just played around with the L network and the tuner until I could see the SWR drop down, indicating that I got a good match. So, wow, it's coming together. I go inside and I fire up the rig. You know, I had been listening to 160 with like a 40 meter dipole. <laughs> that doesn't work too well. Yeah, yeah. But suddenly I had a resonant antenna. A resonant antenna system on 160, and I knew right away, I mean, the signals are coming in a lot stronger. Guys who I'd been listening to were, that were kind of marginal down on the noise are suddenly booming in. A really big difference. And um, so I, I finally, I got on the air on December 28th. Wow. Yeah, December 28th, I fired up on, on AM. Of course, you got the DX100 there. you got to go on AM. So with the HQ100... And listen on the HQ100, transmitting on the DX100, fire up right away. I make, I make one contact all the way up in New England, near Boston. Then I talk to another guy um, on ground wave right here in the, in the northern Virginia area. But I'm like, I am psyched. That is great. I've, I've been on 160-meter AM. Well, then straight key night rolls around. Now i got to get on 160 CW, right? I mean, I'm not really, you know, I'm not much of a CW guy anymore, but it's straight key night. you got to... You know, follow the tradition. Get out the J thirty eight. I thought, well, that's all I have. I've never really moved on to, to kind of bugs or keyers or anything like that. So I have the straight key there. I set it all up, and I'm here. CW stations are pop. Go, they're going crazy. And of course, my HQ one hundred is so broad that it receives all of them at the same time. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. That's standard. Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> it's good for AM. It's not too good for CW. But um, anyway. Um, then I realize I don't have side tone. There's no side tone provisions here at all. But you know what? If you're a real radio amateur, you don't really need side tone. Well, you do. You do. But 
you, you, you take what you can get, Pete. I'm going to explain to you. I, I, I noticed, and I, I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to waste a lot of time. You know, it was, it's, it's, like, it's New Year's Eve. There's all kinds of stuff going on. I only got a limited amount of time to dedicate to this effort. I don't want to win straight Kenai. I don't think it's even possible to win straight Kenai. I just want to make a few contacts, a token effort. You've been there. I've been there, done that. I just want to say I got on 160 CW on straight key night in 2015, 2016, New Year's Eve. So I, I noticed that when I, when I key down the DX100, the DX100 transmitter makes a lot of noise just in the course of normal operation. Clunk. The transformers hum. Yeah. And I noticed that when I key down, I can hear the hum. Side tone side tone right there who needs side tone you know anyway so i i'm 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 calling you know cq straight key night and i'm you know also you got to figure out how to zero beat the uh the x100 with the hq100 when you know it's not it's far from single signal it's it's more like a direct conversion receiver because you're hearing both sides of uh of zero beat it's it's pretty wild but i had man i had five or six contacts It, it was really cool and some of these guys i talked to were just just awesome and this gave me the uh a sense of what really 160 is like the the difference i mean look i love 17 meters i like 20 meters all that sideband but you know it gets a bit monotonous because everybody's running the same commercial rigs everybody's telling you i'm running the yesu this or the kenwood that or the icon that i don't even know what these rigs are but i know that they're all just commercial rigs i don't i don't know you get on 160, and guys are telling you that they're running homebrew transmitters. One guy told me he's running. Like one guy talked to me. He said he sent to me in CW. He says I'm running a MOPA, a master oscillator power power amplifier, power amplifier yeah. uh, built on a wooden board. And and then he said to me, and and he, and I almost you know the, the CW was kind of up and down, so I wasn't quite sure I copied it right. But he said I'm running a four square antenna on 160. Wow. Yeah, he had, um, this is uh, NO3M. You, wanna, you might want to check out his QRZ page because he's got some amazing stuff. He's got the, uh, the four-square antenna, he's, and he built this beautiful homebrew CW transmitter. And uh, the, the thing that blew me away, this is where we're talking about radial systems. His radial system on 160 meters, because he's got four 90-foot aluminum poles that are, are, are arranged so he can, with phasing, send the RF in different directions. They're ni- 90 foot, 90 feet is not enough for quarter wave on 160, so he's got capacity hats on him. He's got the guy wires, I think that's the guy wires that hold the top part, actually are conductive and connected to the antenna, so they form a capacity hat on the top, which is pretty cool. And now the radial system. 22,000 feet of bare copper wire. 22,000 feet of bare copper wire spread out in this guy's backyard. That is, I mean, that's almost mind-blowing. I mean, I had to check. Uh, you, you look, I know you're, you're having trouble, yeah. you know, processing this. Well, I was thinking 50 cents a foot. That's $11,000. <laughs> radio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, so I, I lied. I it's a quarter of a foot, so you know you're around six thousand bucks for for just in in wire. Man, blows your mind. It's it's mind blowing. 
But uh, these guys are, you know, some of them are real, real serious about 160. But anyway, I managed to make, uh, I make, made five or six CW contacts with all kinds of really wild homebrew rigs and, and antennas and everything else. So, so that was a lot of fun. But then I, I've been back on, back on AM. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun on 160 AM. The, the contacts, the timing is good for me because it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a nighttime, you know, sundown band. Um, and so I get to the shack about 5 o'clock in the morning and I turn on the rig and there are guys, there are AM guys at five o'clock in the morning looking for for contacts. So we, there's like kind of a morning roundtable group, uh, and we, we get on, and I think it's 1885, and um, you know, it, so there's there's guys in the morning, and then in the evening, there's on the AM frequency, there's always a, kind of a nice, friendly, congenial, and very open group, people coming in, and everybody's running. You know, uh, homebrew rigs, homebrew AM rigs, or they're running, you know, BC 610s and, you know, all these old transmitters. and But a lot of, a lot of homebrew stuff. And I, 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 I really, you run into people, I run into one guy, uh, K1KW, up in New England. And uh, we were talking, and I, I, we, I, got, I told him how I got started in, in ham radio, and part of it was, listening to guys on 75 meter am in the northeast um they were all college students or, or high school seniors and i was a little bit younger and i used to listen to them on my lafayette ha 600a with jeweled movements yeah. and uh and this guy he kind of laughed and he, he gave me an old call sign he said do you remember this this call sign and i said oh man don't tell me yeah it was him he was one of the guys that i was listening wow. to as a in the early 70s got an, a really amazing station another another uh, qrz.com page you guys should check out k1kw but um it's it's so much fun there um and i'm really having a blast i get on every day i've made a lot of contacts and and i still here's the other thing pete you know a, a, a month or so ago i was complaining that i was running out of projects but the am station and 160 meters have given me a kind of a new source of projects and inspiration. Oh yeah, I got a lot of I got a lot of work to do there. There's a lot of room for improvement. Well, Bill, you, you I think in one of our discussions here since the last podcast, you, you were saying something about even though they're running this older gear, what's the power level? You you were selling, sharing something with me about oh. power level. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I on a when I was on AM before, I was running a DX four DX sixty which is considered a really, you know, a low-powered rig, and it's not even plate-modulated. So I always felt kind of uh, in the uh, kind of the junior varsity uh, on AM on, on 40 and 75. So I always thought, man, if I ever get a DX100, I am going to be like king of the hill. I'm going to be what they call a tall ship yeah. on AM. Yes, right. And uh, when John Saruba gave me the DX100, I thought, oh, man, I am stepping into the big leagues now. But... I put out a couple messages on the uh, AM window, which is a really good uh, online reflector for, for, for AM. And, uh, and I was talking about my evolving station and my plans for an antenna and all that. And a guy came back and he said, he was very helpful. He was very kind of encouraging. He said, but you know, you really got to realize that if you're limiting yourself to a desktop transmitter, <laughs> <laughs> 
Jesus. You're never going to be able to run with the big dogs on 160. And I started thinking, what is he talking about? Aren't Oh, I know what he's talking about. Some of these guys have moved beyond the transmitters that can be placed on any form of furniture, <laughs> desk or otherwise. And not it's not just racks. It's not just rack mounts. Some of these guys, you see them sitting in front of what obviously were AM broadcast transmitters. Because, you know, 160 is just a right little up, bit... Right up the band. <laughs> a little bit above AM broadcast. And um, so... <laughs> I, okay, so now I find myself thinking, you know, geez, one of these days I'm going to have, I'm gonna, but I'm, I'm going to need a bigger house because there's no way I could fit it in here. I mean, so I think I'm going to keep, I'm going to stick to the uh, the lowly desktop transmitters. But, well, it, 160, it's, it is a bit of a challenge. And, you know, it's not only because of the, 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 the propagation and the band conditions and, and the noise. There's a lot of noise. Um, not so much in the wintertime, but we're not really having a wintertime here. You know, it's kind of summer winter but um the other thing is that you know unlike the other bands many people are running what would be considered compromise antennas so you, you do notice that i mean even on 40 meters where the antennas are fairly large almost everybody's able to get up a full-size dipole or an inverted v on 40 whereas on on 160 that's really really tough and, and a lot of the most of the antennas i guess on 160 are one form or another verticals. So um, it, it has its challenges, but when, when conditions, and conditions are almost always good on 160, I don't think they vary a lot other than the noise that I mentioned. But in the wintertime, it's pretty reliable. So I noticed that the guys that I listen to, their, their strength is, is really pretty consistent, which is, which is nice. And so you can sort of, you can count on it for, uh, for nice uh, congenial roundtables. Well, you, you know, you, you mentioned about your first contact uh, from from the wilds of northern Virginia to New England. That's a pretty fair hop for, for 160 meters running a DX100. That, that, that's pretty amazing, Bill. You know, you, yeah, I get... you know you, usually the 160 is like the ground wave, the local guys. But, I mean, to, to make it up to New England, that, that, I, I thought that was I great. I think, it's, I think it's NVIS, I think. I mean, I, I think it's 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 pretty much straight up, straight down, and that'll get you into into New England. But I work a lot of stations in New England in the Boston area. There you go. Uh, work um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, um, WB2AHK American Ham Kid up there in in New York City. Talk to him, and then at night there's a lot of stations around right around here in Virginia, all out at about 150. 200 miles, some of them down two to into three, Raleigh. Two to 300 Raleigh, mile range is, is pretty yeah. good, yeah. Now, we also played around a little bit. You know, 160 in the UK is, especially in the UK, is known as kind of a good band for local kind of um, local roundtables, just ground wave, because everything I've been talking about right now has been beyond ground wave range. But they say that, that, uh, uh, that you can... You know, you can use 164 like local roundtables even in the day, even when absorption has kind of wiped it out for anything, even NVIS. But but if you get on during the day and, and there are stations, they usually say the limit is about 25 miles for ground wave. And the second station I talked to is N4MQ, Woody, who is out in Gainesville, Virginia. That's uh, And I checked on Google. It's twenty, just over 20 miles. So he's kind of at the limit of ground wave yeah. 
And we have tried it during the day, and uh, the, we, we tried it once, and he could hear me fine. He was on his dipole at the time. He's since built a vertical, but we were, you know, we were able to communicate, but it wasn't comfortable. But I'm hoping that, you know, now that he has a, a, a vertical or like an inverted L up, that we might be able to do, do ground wave, because it would be fun you know, to, to use 160 for kind of a local local nets. And, and in the UK, in, in, in Sprat and uh, popular wireless, you'll see a lot of designs for very low power, simple 160 meter AM transmitters. And of course, you could just modify a broadcast receiver and use that. So, um, you know, you think, I think the one thing they call the natter box or the chatter box and, uh, and sim- simple little low power rigs for for round tables because that would be an interesting use of 160 so i'm going to try that hey but pete i wanted to tell you i i I put a blog post up about this but it was so much fun when i first put up the um when i was fooling around trying to adjust the 185 foot wire um i you know i i had everything disconnected at one point and i came inside and i just looked at the swr meter and there's the, the transmitter's not connected or it's off the transmitter is, is often cold, but I'm looking, and the SWR meter, re, meter when I have it on, on reverse, is showing a reading. It's significantly up from zero. Not only that, and you, you know, you've been a ham for a while, you start noticing this. It's moving a little bit, and it's moving the way the meter moves if it's being modulated by the human voice, right? It, you can see that, 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 kind, of, that, kind, of, that kind of flicker. You're yeah. seeing it flickering a little bit yeah. there thinking what the heck is that i'm not on the air and then i said well let's do a little bit of detective work here i have a i have a coax switch here that i can reach up and i can send the antenna signal over to the bench so boom i, I take it and it's coming in now the antenna selected is the 185 foot wire now i have it going over to the bench and i turn on the the, the rigol scope and i put the scope on the uh, uh on the coax and there it is. I could see a big AM signal with modulated voice peaks there. So I figured, all right, well now let's figure out what it is. And I go over to the uh, uh, to the HQ100, and I turn it to um, the AM broadcast band. And I swing through till I find the strongest signal I could find. And then I'm listening to it, and I'm looking at the scope, and I'm and I'm seeing that the scope is moving with the voice peaks. It's um, and and I got the station identification. It's twelve twenty a.m. in uh, right here in Falls Church, Virginia. It's WFAX Foxtrot Alpha X-ray. Um, during the day, they're putting out five kilowatts, uh, which is not a not, not a lot, but when you think about it, the voice peaks on that's pretty significant. Yeah. and it's one point five miles from my house. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. yeah, it's right down the road. I could practically see the tower. So that thing is putting out so much RF that it's enough to move my SWR meter. <laughs> and this prompted all kinds of suggestions about me tapping into this and using it to charge capacitors and build an RF-powered rig. I, I, I like the idea. But I thought it was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. I've, I've, never, I've never seen a signal on, uh, an in- incoming signal on my SWR meter. What, Bill, I, I was just curious. Did that cause any intermodulation distortion on your HQ100? You know, sometimes those older receivers, the front end is so broad that it, it just sat in there and suddenly you get these birdies and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Can- I mean, 
I notice it on the HQ100, but only during the day. Because if you, I went to the website of WFAX, and I see that they're allowed to do uh, uh, 5KW during the day, but at night, they have to, a lot of the stations in the U.S. Go down. have kind of, they have to go way down. And so I think they go down to like 200 watts um, at night. And I do notice on the HQ100 that if I'm tuning through the 160-meter band during the day, I do start, I see a lot of birdies and peaks and stuff where the, the, the uh, AM broadcast stuff is getting through. But at night, it's not, it's not a problem at night. And most of the time that I'm on on 160s at night. But I think eventually I might have to do something uh, about that. But, uh, but that was pretty cool. I thought that was, oh, uh, yeah. that was fun. And, um, yeah, but this gets me to the, to the list of projects that I, I, I need to, to take on, you know, with a DX 100, the other thing you get, well, you realize you're talking to some pretty kind of, um, technically competent hams and the standards, I mean, it's not like they're, you know, kind of, uh, harsh or nasty about it, but they'll say to you, oh yeah, 100, the DX 100 sounds good, Bill. It, it, it sounds kind of stock. Yeah. I know you got to tweak your audio. You got to put the, the filtering on the, you got to the, the audio shaping in the mics. Well, no, 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 it's not. No, no, it's not. We're not getting into enhanced audio here. Pete. It's a different thing. The enhanced audio is, um, I don't know, you know, presence and bright there you go. that we've been making fun it's of. It's not yellowy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, what they're talking about is that the, you know, they, when, when the Heath kit engineers built it, they kind of limited, well, they, they limited the audio going through the speech amplifiers yeah. to communications audio, 300 to 3000 Hertz. Right. But the guys who want to make these things sound better, they, what they essentially do is they go into the, the speech amplifiers and the transmitter and they increase the values of the capacitors. Right. So that lower, you'll have a broader yeah. audio response. Yeah. And I, I do notice it when I'm listening to people. You can there are rigs that get on there. They sound good and strong, but it, it sounds like you're listening to somebody through the radio. Whereas others it sounds like AM broadcast. You know, it, sounds, it sounds like AM broadcast yeah. or hi fi or NPR or something like that. So I'm it's not like I'm burning with desire to do this, but the next time I open up the uh the DX one hundred, I may need to rent a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And you've got to be careful. You can crush your yeah. fingers with that. Um, I'll, I'll go in there. I want to change the mic connector on the front. I have one of these really old-style mic connectors. That, you know what I'm talking about? It's got like that little solder blob in the center. Yeah. And, it's uh, a yeah. standard microphone connector is what it is. From, from yeah, from when, like, yeah. from, from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But nobody uses those things anymore. I yeah, know. yeah, I know, I know. I, I So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it. And then um, the other thing I, I was reading, you know, the um, the HQ100, real simple, it's real simple receiver, but sometimes the audio just sounds awful coming out of it. And so I went around and searched and searched on the internet and very quickly came. They, the, the Hammerlid folks, when they were designing this thing, came up with some sort of weird negative feedback audio output circuit. That was designed. I don't know. As 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 st stations get stronger, the uh, the the response narrows on, on it. Cheap AVC. 
Yeah, and a lot of guys complain about the HQ100 saying that it doesn't sound good. And instead of just discarding it, I'm just going to I'm going to go in there and the mods were listed to take this kind of feature out and just have an ordinary, you know, class A audio amplifier coming out of the thing. So that's so I'm going to modify the audio on both the receiver and the transmitter. But but I really like using what I have. I mean, I, I know I could come up with a better receiver, but these two these two pieces of gear were just sitting there. They both have the number 100 in them. I both picked I picked them both up through kind of um, meaningful ways, so they have a lot of soul in them. The HQ100 came out of the Dominican Republic, so I'm going to stick with them. Plus, the, they both cover 160. There's no needs for mods for that, so that's what I'm going to stick with. And, and you have what's called a vintage station. It is. It looks cool. Yeah, a vintage. I got station. pictures of it up yeah. the blog. It looks. It looks to me like one of those, you know, those old World War II yeah, movies. Yeah, a vintage like station. The Coast Watchers. Yeah. Some guy, some Australian out there in New Guinea, looking for the for the enemy ships with this huge radio yeah. there. It's, it's, hey, hey I, I'm not sure you're going to cover this, uh, but uh, yesterday in the mail, my Sprat showed up. One sixty-five. Yeah, and what was yeah. interesting. Because this is something you mentioned about having projects that the 160 meters of spawning projects. On page 20, they have what's called the wireless side tone. I saw <laughs> that. I said, oh, oh, yeah, there you go, Bill. That's, that's on my list to mention. I got to do that. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, did, I didn't see if, you know, what the agenda was for today. But I said, when you mentioned, you know, side tone, I said, hey, what did I just see about that? Page 20, wireless side tone. G-H-S. Yes, the radio gods have spoken. That's it. I'm destined. Yeah, cool. To do this. Yeah. The, the other thing, um, I, I really like that. We'll, we'll talk about Spratt again in a minute because our friend Paul was in there. Oh, nice time. picture, Paul. Yes. Um, but the other projects that I want to do, now here's the other problem with the HQ100 and the DX100. You know, uh, frequency readout. It... Um, <laughs> There's been a lot of advances in this area since 1957. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I really do feel I feel the need for some glowing numerals. You and your SI-5351, uh, okay. Mr. Giuliano, have spoiled me. And unless I have a numeric readout, you know, out to, you know, at least four decimal places, I begin getting twitchy nowadays. See, you're hooked. I know. You're the glowing numbers, <laughs> the siren song of the glowing numerals. But anyway... Uh, what I, what I, what I, um, Dino KL0S wrote in and he said that they, you know, the, the, the HQ100, it used to have a, a mechanical clock. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was a horrible yeah. looking thing. Yeah. Clunky, clunky, clunky. And the whole idea was that you would set it so that it would turn the receiver on an hour or so before yeah, you used yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> it need to warm so up. So that it would bit. stop drifting. Yeah. <laughs> it need to yeah. Warm up a bit. yeah. Oh, man. Mine, by the time I got it, you know, mine had been through the, you know, through the tropical ringer in oh, the Dominican yeah. Republic. Lightning, power surges, tropical humidity, a chain smoker who owned it before I did. It was covered with nicotine and mold. And, oh, man, it was messed up. But, um, and the clock, I just took the clock out. Some guy was working on it, could use some parts, so I put it in the mail, sent it to him. And I just replaced it with a piece of aluminum that's just sitting there. It's, so it looks sort of like an eye patch. Um but Dino said to me that there's some guy who's marketing a, um, a, a clock that, uh, no, a frequency readout that you could put where the clock was. So you just take that panel out, you pop this oh, thing in. Oh, that'd be cool. So, yeah, but 100 bucks. Oh, no. No. Man, nah. the receiver's not 100 bucks. Nah, you can build one, Bill. 
I know that's and that's what Dino said. He said it, it looks home home brewable, and he's right. I was you know I'm I'm so tied to the, these um, Sanjian frequency counters from China, twelve bucks shipped, but uh, it's a little too big for that space. So what I might do is I might just outboard it, and I would like I thought I think it would be really cool if I had like one box with like two frequency readouts on it, one connected to the HQ100 one connected to the DX100. So at a glance, I could see what my receive frequency is and what my transmit frequency is. And it's easy, it'd be easy to do. I mean, with the HQ100, you'd have to do the IF offset thing with 455KC, but that's easy. The DX100, of course, you wouldn't because you're just reading off the, the oscillator. So I think that would be kind of neat, don't you think? I mean, oh, I have a box Oh, yeah, here. and there's a perfect answer from IK0OIL. Guy's name is Morgan Tini, and he has a pick base frequency counter that you can put offsets in, yeah. and you can just get like a uh, an eight-digit display, a two by eight, and that'll yeah. fit right right in there, just like what I'm using on the uh, Tentech. But you can look up Morgan T uh, IK zero OIL. It's a real simple circuit, and it's got like I said, it's got the offsets. You can put it in there, so you can either use it straight or whatever, and you can just get the two by eight, and it'll fit right in that spot oh man that'd be that'd be nice but I'm, i i don't know i might i might i think i might go with the sanjian uh, counters because they're so easy and I, I might just put it in a in a separate oh, box yeah. i have a little, box, i have a sure. i have a little box from the uh the heath kit q multipliers oh yeah that i massacred Ooh. shamelessly oh those are nice boxes well, they were nice Q multipliers yes. too, but those caps were needed for a higher okay. purpose. Okay, you, you, <laughs> didn't have the, you didn't have the secret donor back then when you needed. No, them. we didn't have the secret benefactor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those they, they died for a good yeah, cause. Yeah, but, I, I, got both, it, I got it. Those capacitors are now sitting in uh, in Bidex transceivers in front of me. Yeah. And one one of our listeners wrote in and claimed that I was uh, causing the, the 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 market price of QF one Q multipliers oh, yeah. rise. Yes. I think that was Bob. Up in Oregon. Yeah, Bob. He says, yeah, that's right. It's my fault. Yeah. I'm responsible for, yeah. I know I'm responsible for the Drake 2B price yeah, increases. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the market spike in solid state design for radio amateurs. Now QF1. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can understand the solid state design for radio amateurs. Yeah. Well, I think I, think I might be, we, we, might, we might be in trouble with the Securities Exchange Commission. Yeah, there you market, go. <laughs> market manipulation yeah. and insider trading. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, that's my plan. For the uh, for the for the AM station, I need to go. I think I need to go out there and square away my L network. It's right now covered by a, the entire thing is covered by a plastic uh, pail. I just put it right down on top of it to keep the rain off of it. But those uh, those those bread slicer capacitors were pretty robust, and the uh, the roller inductors they could take a lot of abuse. So one of these days I'm going to go out there and square it away. But right now it's working great. It's very, it's very, um, it's narrow. I find that if I move a little bit away from 1885, the SWR goes up, so it's it's, it's pretty high Q. But that's okay because you don't change frequency a oh, lot. That, that, well, that's what I was going to say. Fail. You're probably going to find a, a a 10 kilohertz slice that you're going to stay within that because that's where everybody collects. It, yeah, it's even narrower there. I mean, there really is only one AM frequency on on 160 and 1885. So that's, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I mean, that's where I find everybody there. So um, anyway, I'm 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 really having a blast here with my bare bones radio system, radio system clip lead network DX100. 
Life is good, Pete. Yeah. There's hey, something to do. I, I want to do uh, just make a small input here. Um, uh, and I discovered this just this week. Uh, there's a, a station, uh, W7RNA, and, and you can find them on the internet, uh, W7RNA, Web SDR. It's one of these SDR radios that's on the internet. And he only covers four bands, uh, 160, 80, uh, 40, low, 40, high, and 60 meters. So if someone just would like to listen don't, and don't have an HQ100 to 160, a lot, a lot of the transceivers today don't cover 160 meters, that one does. So you can just go to your computer, find a W7, uh, W7RNA, and you can just listen. I, I just wanted to see what, if there was any activity, Bill, because I, I just didn't have time. I said, okay, yeah. I'm at the computer. I'll take a quick look. I, and the thing that's nice is they have a spectrum display, so you can see if there's an AM station. And, and most, of oh, the yeah. stuff, most of the stuff here on the West Coast is sideband. I, I haven't seen one AM station as yet, but that may be just, you know, looking at it for three minutes and now i got to go. But uh, anyway, someone who might might be interested, uh, that station is in Sedona, Arizona, so that will give you pretty good coverage of the uh, West Coast. And I'm sure there are other stations. I, I think there's one. There's, there's one on the East Coast, and there's one in Europe. There's ones, in, you know, all over the world, but you can find it. But the W7RNA, if you just want to listen to 160 meters and see what it's like. Now now I know it's 1885. <laughs> so if I want to listen, I'll put it on that frequency and see what's what's cooking. See, see if you can find it. That's a good idea, though. I, I like those SDR online receivers. They're, they're a lot of fun. There's a number of them around, but I'll have to check that one out. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pete, that brings us, it's time for you. You're neglecting your responsibilities here, my friend. Shameless Commerce Division. It is. It is sh time for Shameless Commerce Division. And I just, I, first, we want to talk, all, we always talk around the same time about the KX3. Yeah. And we, 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 we kind of talk about the, the virtues of that, that, that rig and especially the receiver in it. Oh. I know you haven't had a lot of time to listen, but man, that, we like the KX3 a lot. Oh, yeah, a absolutely. You, you know, and and I think that's the that's the other thing too is that thing is so small that you know if you're cramped for space don't have much room in the shack you know finding space to put a DX100 and HQ100 you you need a room <laughs> you need a room but the I almost K had I almost had to get rid of the dog yeah, the KX3 is just amazing and I you know hopefully with uh, seeing a little light at the tumble that's that's one of my 2016 uh, resolutions I want to get that you know, on the air and use it a lot more. And of course, with the beam, uh, that's going to make it a lot better for the higher frequencies, 10, 15, and 20. So yeah, that's, well, you know, that's it, on the list. It, it covers it covers 162. Oh yeah, I know. I, and AM, AM you know, is one of the selections. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're cutting you some. We're cutting you some slack. Yeah, Steve and I are cutting you some slack because you've had some yeah. difficulties beyond your control. But don't think that this yeah, is going to. Yeah, it's not forgotten. Gonna, right? no. It's not forgotten. You, you have you have taken the pledge, my friend, yeah. and uh, we're gonna we're gonna hold you to it. Sometime during 2016, in with some form or another, you know, you you could take a. Somebody was saying that well, on 160, you could just take a whole bunch of take the wire and wrap it around some big piece of PVC and. Well, you know, I'm thinking a, 160 meter mobile. That would qualify. There are, there, that would qualify, you. right? That's right, and just you know, get that big antenna yes. on the back. I, I got a three-inch piece of PVC pipe. <laughs> I can make a loading coil. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What? <laughs> oh man, what? the neighbors will talk. Yeah, you. I want you to go with the SCD, and then I've got something for Shameless Commerce. Oh, right, Shameless Commerce. Okay, we got to get back to Shameless Commerce. All right. Um, the the best way that you can help out, help keep solder smoke on the fiber optic cable 
is if you think Amazon, think solder smoke. There, in the upper right-hand corner of the solder smoke blog page, there is a little search box for Amazon. If you're thinking about buying something, you know, a new Lamborghini or something, I think you could probably get it from from Amazon. And who knows? They may be even delivering it by drones to your house. Yeah. But it, it doesn't matter. The, the bigger, the better. The more expensive, the better, because we get a piece of the action from Bezos and company. It doesn't come out of your pocket at all. It all comes from the suits there at Amazon. And so you can help us without hurting yourself in any way. <laughs> Just... All you have to do is begin your search there, and if and and then cha-ching, we we get some money and we put it to good use. We buy all kinds of amazing radio equipment. The microphone, I, I'm I'm thinking the mic. Look at the, this microphone, Pete. Uh, I mean, yeah. It, just describe it. What it, what does it look like? There's two big green rubber bands holding the thing together. Yeah, and it's a it's a former wet diaper, isn't it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's, it. a, it's not. A, it's a baby one. Okay. <laughs> and. Uh, well, it's been there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Kid's 16 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, and it, it used to be a lamp, too. Yeah, the whole thing. I, I was just a, a lamp. This is an Ikea lamp. Yeah. we got to get a picture of this thing up here. Yeah. It, it, it's quite pathetic, but this, this, this points out the needs for more of you to. <laughs> Buy from Amazon. <laughs> Buy from Amazon through Solder Smoke. If you think Amazon, think Solder Smoke. Go to the blog page www.soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Thank you very much. Over to you, Pete. Well, I just want to mention that I bought my Raspberry Pi 2 and my 5-inch display and the, uh, the, wireless, uh, the wireless device uh, all, all through the Solder Smoke blog. So you should have seen it. Oh, man, we've seen a big spike. <laughs> yeah, 100 bucks. you know. There, there you go. There you go. There you That's go. what we want. Well, well, thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. And, and it works. And it's, it's painless. I mean, it's just like... When you connect through the solder smoke blog, you have it's there's no difference. Although in the background there is, there's no difference than you normally go to Amazon and just connect and say, "Hey, I want to buy this thing." So it, it's painless and uh, might as well. Some 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 guys. Thanks, Pete. But some guys have said that they don't see the thing up there on the right. I I'm running Windows 10 now. I upgraded to Win, Windows 10 and it's there. I think under the old Internet Explorer, sometimes it didn't show up, but it always shows up under Google Chrome. So if you don't see it there and you want to take a minute, just try maybe try another browser or, or something like that. If it, if it doesn't show up under Internet Explorer, that's okay. If it doesn't show up under Linux or other some other weird thing, that, that might be a part of the problem. One guy told me that it didn't show up, but then he realized that he had, he had turned on the, the ad blocker. <laughs> okay. Well, that'll <laughs> work. That'll do yeah, it. Hey. That'll do it. But, but, he, but, but we thank everybody for, for giving it a try and, and yeah, appreciate well, your, your support. What I wanted to cover, and, and this is something, you know, of uh, the last three weeks, uh, at least uh, somewhere around 12 hours a day, I've been spending over at the hospital. And so uh, in many cases, uh, the XYL, they just had her sedated. And, you know, you can sit there and look at the four walls. But I picked up a book, uh, and that's what I wanted to cover, called uh, Beginning C for Arduino, second edition. Beginning C for Arduino. Second edition, and this is put out by APRESS, A-P-R-E-S-S, and it's written by a guy by the name of Jack Purdom, P-U-R-D-U-M. He's a Ph.D., uh, taught programming for a long time, but also, more importantly, his call sign is W-A-T-E-E. -E. So this is a ham that, right. that put this book out. And, One of us. And I, I, I got to tell you, in the first, I'm only in through chapter four, 
um, and and he ultimately takes you through projects that are ham radio related. So it's not just some programming book, but the guy has a has a goal here. And, and I got to tell you, I, I've been fooling around with the Arduino here for a couple of years. And in many respects, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I mean, I was just, someone says, here's a code snippet, put that in there. And and then you'd go say, well, I want to change something. And you go in there and make some changes. And I didn't really understand why. You know, it's just like you always say, I, I like building discrete radios because I know what every capacitor yeah. and every resistor does. And I know if I change this, this is what's going to happen. This this is of the same ilk. So if, if you want to start you know, using, utilizing Arduino in here, just listening to us this morning, look, look what you said. Oh yeah, I want a better frequency display <laughs> for the, for the HW100 or the, the DX100 or, you know, uh, I, I'm sh sure you're going to talk about the uh, phasing receiver uh, that you're building. So it, it'd be nice to know what you're doing. And it's not that you want to be a computer programmer. It's just understanding what you're doing. So again, this is called uh, this is the second edition of Beginning C for Arduino, second edition by Jack Purdom, W-A-T-E-E. -E. And, and I believe, uh, Bill, that he's published uh, quite a few articles in, in QST and CQ and um, I think in QRP Quarterly where he takes a project and employs the Arduino. So if you want to understand what you're doing, it's a pretty easy read. Uh, it, it's not too technical that you get lost in the Skeeter Witch by the Framus Annal, you know. It's, it'll take you step step by step by step. So I think this is, uh, uh, as I said, I had a little bit of time with nothing to do other than to stare at the hardware that I'd like to have, you know, the tools and instruments. <laughs> so uh, this this is a, a, a great thing. And I, um, I, I just thought I'd mention it this morning because it, it has made such a dramatic difference. Now I know why I'm doing some of the things I'm doing that had no, I had no understanding why. I was, oh, I just put that in there, you know. Well, now I know why. So, I got. I need that book, Pete. I yeah, definitely need yeah. it because I, I, in this area, I have been relying on the the, the charity of, of friends and strangers, <laughs> because I, I have the thing and I say, oh man, I got. I need to change the uh, the Arduino code, and I go out and I talk to. Uh, uh, to you or some others out there who've been working on it, they send me the code. And our friend up there in New York City um, helps me allow, oh, Tom, uh, allow yeah. it. Yeah, Tom Hall yeah. helps Thank helps me with me. it. Yeah. But I, I really should be able to do more of this myself. I mean, I read the little Arduino book by uh, Bonzi, yeah. by, uh, by Mario Bonzi, which was a good start. Yeah. But it'll only take you so far, so I think I'm going to pick up this book. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really move into the. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got to do it because right, you know, even even now, we'll start talking about the R2 receiver here a little bit. But I have the uh, the the AD9850 DDS uh, VFO with the Kanga shield, and but I have it, I have it running at uh, so I have to run it at four times the frequency. So I, you know, it's really hard because I'm listening to 40 meters. And the, the frequency readout says 28.2, 28.215. And I'm sitting there, I'm getting pretty good at, I'm getting pretty good at divide by four. Yeah, by yeah, 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 there you go. Well, but there's got to be a better way. Yeah, this uh, Jack, W-A-T-E-E, -E, uh, he taught for many years at Purdue. And, and uh, so when I discovered that, I, I had a smile on my face because for the longest time I had a bumper sticker that said, my money and my daughter went to Purdue, <laughs> and that was true. And and you know what, Bill? I'm smiling here because I know 
Billy's going to be heading off. <laughs> and I keep well, telling I, you, 5.7 years. <laughs> 5.7 right, years. That's why we're, we're pushing you, the shameless commerce division here. You don't here, believe please. me, but wait. Uh, <laughs> you wait. Okay, All I'm right. done. Anyway, great, great book. We're going to get it. And that might help me with the R2 project, which is something I wanted to update people on. You know, um, we all, I know people, you know, people like to hear about our, our suffering with, with technical projects, Pete. They, yeah. they, they take great delight in this. Yeah. And, you know, so we're, we're going to delight them here a little bit now because, and I'm, I'm, I think we've come up with a whole new, you know, we, we're coming up with our own vocabulary yeah. here, which is kind of scary because it, that, that's the way cults start, you know, they, and we don't want to get that far, but. You know, re- recently we've been talking about the Illuminati. Illuminati, yes. All right, we won't get into that. But people, people know what we're talking about there, the Illuminati. But then, I, 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 and then we come up with other phrases. The one I came up with this morning was tries and tribs. Oh, yeah. Just tries and yeah, tribs. Yeah, And with the R2, it's tries and tribs and trig. Yeah. Trials and tribulations. I am building the, uh, a really cool receiver project. Designed more than 20 years ago by um, Rick Campbell, KK7B, a true genius and guru of, of radio design and ham radio. Three cheers for Rick. And he came up with this really cool series of, re- of receivers. It started with the R1, I think in 1992, which was a kind of a carefully designed, kind of high-end direct conversion receiver in which Rick had spent a lot of time properly terminating the mixer with a dip diplexer that properly terminated all the signals and he spent a lot of time designing the the af amplifiers putting you know good good filters in there and really making a quality direct conversion receiver but then of course the, the shortcoming of the direct conversion receiver is you're listening to both sides of zero beat anybody who's played with an hw7 or an hw8 knows what we're talking about you tune through a CW signal and you can go above zero beat and hear it. You can go below zero beat and hear it. Now, that's a problem because that means you're listening to basically twice the frequency spectrum that you really need to listen to. Um, and, of course, we get beyond this problem with a superhet receiver. We built, a very, we built an appropriately narrow crystal filter and you only listen to one side of zero beat. In the early days of superhets, they were referred to as single signal receivers because you were just listening to that one spot on the dial but direct conversion receivers definitely have an advantage because they're they're simple they're clean there's only one oscillator running there's not a lot of conversion not not an extra set of mixers in there you can cover a very broad range of the of the frequency spectrum all you really have is a mixer an oscillator and an audio amplifier very simple stuff but rick took the r1 and using the phasing technique, turned it into the R2, which is a single signal direct conversion receiver. It's not a super hat. It's direct conversion. The oscillator is running at the operating frequency. But it, it, it doesn't have a crystal filter. So it uses the, a really the, the clever technique, and I think the beautiful technique of phasing. The same phasing technique that runs my HT37 transmitter, but here on the receive side. So... I, I've been having a lot of fun with this thing, and I, I'm almost done with it. But there have been trials and tribulations because um, it is a more co- it's more complicated than a, an ordinary direct conversion receiver because you basically have two direct conversion receivers. I have the DDS VFO there, but uh, it, has, it has been, it, it, you know, I always say with the receiver, it's, it, receivers 
most of the time, you have to work at them and coax the signal out. I'm coaxing it out right now. I, and man, I have made some mistakes. Maybe we should talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <so much. laughs> I'm laughing because yeah, you shared this with me. <laughs> go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Well, okay. So you, I get, I get the, I, 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 I'm building it in phases. As we always say, build it in phases, build it stage by stage, and test as you go. And this is great, but it can make you cocky. Because I've got most of the receiver built. I've got everything built except the audio amplifier stage. And I know everything works because I've tested. I know the oscillator works. I know the first two direct conversion receivers work. I actually hooked up audio headphones and did the, the IQ thing. I listened to the I, I and Q. Um, and uh, I built, then I built the 90-degree phase shift network using quad op amps. And I got that working. I could see the, the phase shift being introduced. Everything's going good. Now I figured, ah, the audio amplifier, piece of cake, right? So I decided to build the discrete component audio amplifier that Rick has there in the R2 schematic from the 1990, January 1993 QST. And I look and I say, oh, yeah, he starts out with a bunch of uh, 2N3904 transistors. I reach into the box and I grab them and I put them on the board and I get the whole thing built and it doesn't work at all. Man, I'm scratching my head. I'm poking. I'm checking voltages. I'm checking the, 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 uh, everything else. And, and it, uh, it went on for like a day until finally I realized that when I reached into the box, I didn't grab two N3904s. I grabbed two N3906s. I did that. <laughs> yeah, I one, did. Of them is, one of them is NPN. The other one is PNP. That's a trial and tribulation, my friends. Anyway, the other, the other thing that I, I... And this gets back to something that you said before about knowing how the circuit works um and rick he admits this in the article he says that the 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 final audio amplifier that he built it's it's a bit more complicated and he he took it he said he took it from um kind of the audio world for a low distortion amplifier that can drive a speaker and he says it it's more complicated and it comes with a higher part count parts count yeah and I, um, and I got to admit that I, when I look at the circuit, I still don't really understand how all of it's working and how what every component is doing. It's very different from the audio amplifiers that we use in most of the, most of the ham gear. It's, it's a complementary pair differential. Uh, it's basically compl two complementary pair, um, almost like Darlington pair, complementary audio amplifier. So it gets a little bit complicated, and it's, you, you look at it, and it's not entirely clear right away how the biasing is working, how the signal flow is going, and everything else. So I built it, but it's been, it's been put on the side now for a little bit. I'm going to go back to it and get that one working. For now, I just went and built an LM386 audio amplifier <coughs> and, and put it in there. Are you shocked? I mean... <coughs> Hey, look, Pete, in, in, for a, in for a penny, in for a pound, my friend, because, you know, the, the, the whole phase shift network is built using, you know, quad op amps in these evil little boxes with these little yeah. sticks at the bottom. You know, they look yeah. like little millipedes there. Yeah. So I figured, and not only that, the oscillator is an 809850 yeah. with an Arduino. So I moved. I've already you moved to the dark side. <laughs> no, and I, you'll, we'll talk about this in the uh, in the in the in the in the mailbag portion. But yeah, I definitely went over to the dark side. But uh, but I'm having a lot of fun. I, I really like this thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna write it up. I mean, because the phasing technique has a certain uh, beauty to it. 
and it's it, it it's I, I I like it a lot. I, I've got the receiver. The receiver. I was listening to the receiver on 160 last night. It sounds great. I've got a couple little bugs I need to work out, and things pop up too. The circuitry it, it's it's much more complicated. So I've got a problem now in that. Well, it's a sad story, but it it's not a it, it's something that'll be easy to fix. But I'm going to work on that this this long weekend. But um, anyway, that's 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 where we are with that tries and tribs. Um, I I've had prop. You know. Things go bad on you. My D104 microphone suddenly started giving me trouble after Ooh. you know 20 years of oil service. Ooh. You didn't, I it took me a long time. I'm, I'm troubleshooting a D104. Wow. Can you believe this? Wow. You know what it is? It's the connector the, between the stand and the the head. Oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. Part. The three it got the three pump connector goes. In. They get weak and everything else, yeah. and I, it's it, it's still a bit dodgy, yeah. as they say. Yeah, that wonky. Hey, hey, Bill, I want to just comment on your your R2 receiver and, and why maybe today you have a better opportunity to make that work right versus what might have happened 30 years ago. The component tolerances have gotten a lot better. I mean, yeah. one, of, one of the keys to success is maintaining that 90-degree phase shift over yeah. a wide frequency spectrum. Before yep. it was kind of a compromise. They could get a 90-degree phase shift, but e even 3 kilohertz wide was a problem. That, to, that yep. you'd have this this you know uh, complete phase shift over that that frequency spectrum. But because of the components and and the quality of the components, and they don't cost an arm and leg. I mean, you can buy one percent resistors, which we're talking about, or two percent capacitors for for not like hundreds of dollars. You know, and they may cost you a premium, but but it's still you know, within the range of the experimenter. So I, I, I think this is a really good time to do this because you're not you're not ending up with one arm tied behind you because of the, the component tolerances and the inability to hold that phase shift. Yeah, and, and you know, um, in his article, and the article is, it's you know, it's, it's 20 years old, but um, in the article, Rick talks about, you know, using, you know, high, you know, 1% tolerance parts. And you're right, they're easy to get now. I get it all, I got it all from DigiKey. He he went the extra step, and he said even if you buy a batch of them, you should then go the additional step and try measure. to even even within measure and get get you know, I, I kind of skipped over that that part, <laughs> and I just I kind of trusted DigiKey and uh, I, it close enough. So does that have something fine. to do with the New York mentality? Is that <laughs> does that have something to do with the New York mentality? <laughs> Can you explain that to me, please? No, I don't know. It was just <laughs> close enough. I just I wanted it was it's going okay. It, it, it's all right. But the 90 degree phase shift really really works. I mean, I, that was kind of neat when I tested that part. I built this whole little board and I, you know, it's got, you know, uh, two quad op amps in there and each one of them moves the phase shift, you know, the the top channel and the bottom channel and and hopefully at the end you end up with signals that are of the same level but just 90 degrees shifted and shifted over the entire audio yeah, frequency spectrum. Yeah, that was a problem. So I, just to test it, I put, the, uh, I put two different scope probes at the output of the phase shift network on the Rigel scope. And then I fed the same audio into the input. Right? So I've got the same audio signal going in. So if, if everything's working right, you should have one output coming out 90 degrees off the other. But identical and, and identical in in you know, of course in in uh, in frequency and level, and man, it was amazing. You see these two signals, you know, on the A trace and the B trace, and then and then I just move them together, and you could see they're almost exactly, 
90, well, exactly 90 degrees off. And then I swung it, you know, on the, fre- the audio frequency generator, I swung it down from, you know, below 300 hertz all the way up above 300, up above three, three kilohertz. And it stayed at 90 degrees and the level stayed the same all the way through. So it was really, really a cool circuit. That's very, very nice. Hey, what did you use? He, he used to specify an NE5514, which was the op amps he was using. And you can't get those anymore. What, what did you end up using? A, a, a secret benefactor came through. Oh, so you, you found a stash of those. Oh, okay. Um, Look at that. I'm not even looking at the schematic, and I know what the part number is. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're pretty good. Uh, I got No, I used something else for the NE5514. That wasn't the problem. Any, any, pretty much any quad op amp. Would so you could good. use like a 5532. Those are commonly available. Yeah, and, there's, and, and there's that's a that's MC, a dual MC MC thirty four oh three MC thirty three oh three, things like that. But then the uh, the other part that was kind of hard to get was the LM three eighty seven. Oh, uh, that's that audio preamp. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit that was a little tough, but um, um, we got a hold of some of them, and uh, so anyway, we're 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 moving along here. Anyway, cool. D one oh four problems. Ramsey's closing down, man. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, they, they used to make quite a few nice kits. Matter of fact, uh, I guess one of the popular kits was they had a 20-meter and 40-meter linear amplifier, tw- tw- 20 I, watts. I, I built one. I built one. I built the uh, the, the Q, Q40, and I've, I've, I'm still using it. I used it for a long time, a nice little thing with two little MOSFET amplifiers. I built their um, aircraft receiver kit. Oh, yeah. That was that was great fun. They used to have a um, a preamplifier, two meter preamp kit. I, I I built that too, and I was yeah. a little tiny thing, little yeah, thing. I, a little I put, board. I put it in a, I put it in a thirty five millimeter film can, and and had it up on the antenna, when I was doing uh, when I was listening to the the Mir space station for on receive on two meters down. You know that was that was great fun, but um now yeah, well, too bad about Ramsey, but more scratch build homebrew opportunities. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do more scratch build homebrewing. Anyway, far, Farhan from afar left, uh, alerted me to that. He uh, he sent me an email about Ramsey. That was too bad. Hey, but we mentioned Sprat 165. Paul Darlington's in there. Yeah. Moving back from the dark side. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, I, you know, he's the, he's been the, the, the guru of, uh, of of digital microcontrollers and all that. But this this month's article has to do with regular old VXOs. Yeah. And switching them. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, he, he kind of apologized in the article saying there might not be a lot of application for this thing. But I think there is a lot of application. Oh, yeah. He mentioned USB, LSB. But also, if you're running a direct conversion uh, transceiver or DC receiver and you're running it with a crystal oscillator, you need something sure. to be able to switch those, those crystals. I, I've been using just like relays. But he's doing a switching with transistors, which is, of course, a lot cleaner and neater. And so, uh, thanks, Paul. That was that was a cool article, and good to see your picture there. And congratulations on the award. Yeah, you, you know, he when I saw his picture, I've I've seen pictures of him before, but that particular picture, he he looks like a like a classical Shakespearean actor. You know, like you'd see coming out of the UK. He's got that look with the beard and all that. You know that you. No, no. For me, for me, for me, he looks like a, a real British. Boffin. Uh, Boffin is the scientist. Oh yeah, he should, yeah, he should, yeah, have, the coat, the he should have like a white coat. Lab coat, yeah. 
Paul, do you wear a web lab coat when you're in the shack? You should. And I think it would be, be you know, the, the influence, the UK influence, Pete, is having it's having a big effect on us. Oh, I mean, yeah. you're using all these terms. Yeah. A bit wonky. Yeah. Yeah. A bit dodgy. Yeah. Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. Got it. Hey, hey you, I attribute this all to Spratt. You, you know, when Paul. I saw his circuit, it reminded me of something, and it's it's kind of curious. In the scanners, you remember when scanners were really popular? That they were scanning oh, yeah. all the police frequencies. They used a circuit not too unlike that. That they owned the crystals. They, there was a transistor in in the crystal circuit, and they had just a, they had like a a counter, a ring counter that would count and it would output. And, it, and essentially, the output of that ring counter would uh, turn on. Essentially, what he's doing, he's, he's owning some transistors so the crystal is put in the circuit. And, and then what they would do is there was a delay when they'd on one of the crystals. And if the squelch kicked in, it, it, it held the circuit. So I looked at that and I said, yeah, that's a little, that's some really old technology. But why not? You know, and he said you could do all kinds of things with with, with that approach, you know, turning on various things. But uh, immediately when I saw two crystals, I thought of four. And, and and the idea was not so much upper sideband, lower sideband, as it was that could be really neat. Uh, like, for instance, with the simple sieber, if you had a bunch of VXOs, you could on different crystals in the VXOs and cover the whole band. So two switches would give you four frequencies. There you go. That's or it. two pins of an Arduino would give you four frequencies. A lot of applications for that. Yeah. And three cheers, three cheers for our friends over there yeah, at Spratt's PRP Club. There's some other nice Listen, projects in there, too. I, we, we've said it many times. If you guys aren't subscribed to Spratt, you're just missing out. So so contact Spratt. You'll see them. And, you know, they're easy to find. GQRP Spratt. I look forward. Every time that magazine comes in, it's just wonderful. Thank you to George Dobbs, Tony Fishpool, the whole gang over there. And, uh, and thanks again to um, our friend Paul. And again, Get one of those white lab coats, Paul. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. You know, in the old day, in the old days, ham radio operators they always wore a suit and a tie. Oh when they were yeah. I, I know you do that sometimes, no, Pete. Uh, not very often. I, if, you wear, <laughs> if you wear a tie, it cuts off the circulation to your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you a wear a tie to work, don't you? And yeah. I, it, it happens. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen. <laughs> hey, uh, I saw the movie The Martian. Oh. I watched it. Billy and I watched it. Lisa and Maria watched it too. Everybody liked it. I thought it was yeah. really cool. I liked it. I liked the you know the book's always better, but the the, the movie was was, was yeah. cool. They didn't they didn't put enough emphasis, I think, on the contact on 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 making contact. For me, that was one of my favorite moments when he when he got the the Pathfinder transceiver going and established contact. In the book, that was really exciting. You know, as a radio amateur, I was thinking, my God, he's he's doing it. The other thing in the book that made me mad, and I think I mentioned this before, it didn't make me mad, but you know, he he kind of uh, blew blew up the Pathfinder transceiver in the book, not in the movie. In the book, he blows up the Pathfinder yeah. transceiver, and you know, it's because reverse polarity protection. Those NASA engineers didn't put a diode in RPP. there. Man, and not only that, Watney didn't even try to fix it. He just what? said, "Oh, it's broken." He was oh, a potato oh, farmer. What do you expect? <laughs> God, should have fixed that thing. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we move to the mailbag, and we have quite an extensive mailbag, I just want to thank everybody who helped us out. You know, you, uh, you've had your family medical problems. We have one going here, too. It's um, a young Dominican couple. Uh, Lisa's cousin has uh, a little boy, uh, Gustavo, 
who got quite sick and they, they had to bring him up to Miami. And Elisa launched a campaign to help raise some money to help take care of the kid. And it was very successful. We thank many, many solder smoke uh, listeners contributed. A lot of people sent good wishes. I'm happy to report that Gustavo is, is doing very, very well. Elisa has been down there uh, all week um, in, in Miami. She comes back today. Um, and we, she took all of our, uh, our frequent flyer miles and went down there just to help out. And has, has the poor thing, she's going to be exhausted. She's been in the hospital for a week, uh, helping to take care of, you know, when you have an 18 month old who's in the hospital, man, you can't, you can't leave and go take a, you know, go, you know, go, go get something to eat. Somebody has to be with them. You know, it's 24 seven. And so Elise has been down there on that mission. So she comes back today and thanks to everybody who helped out with, with Gustavo. I only have one question for you. Have you washed the dishes in the dishwasher? And <laughs> have you cleaned up the I'm kitchen? Tell you. <laughs> That's my only question to you. It's, this house has been run with an efficiency. <laughs> it's it's frightening, Pete. Okay. I'm in complete parental control. But believe me, I've never I really appreciate everything. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. But my kids the kid the big you know, I, I I told you I was pleased, you know, the dog and the cat are still alive. <laughs> yeah. And the kids have not called social services, yeah. not once. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. So, the, the, but anyway, the reign of terror ends this afternoon when Elisa arrives. The kids, I think, are quite anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm very looking forward to seeing you too, of course. Hey, solder smoke mailbag. Yes. Bing. Um, I'll go through this kind of quick because we've got a lot. Um, but jump in. Let me know if you have anything. Do you to have add. the item on there that that the crossword puzzle. No, you got to bring that up. <laughs> First one is from Jim, AL7RV. Uh, now, W8NSA, he, uh, a, an old friend, a, a friend of solder smoke for a long time. He's now building QRP transmitters, Manhattan style. Manhattan style QRP transmitters. All right, uh, uh, Jim. He's got 100 milliwatts. Ooh. He's going to make some contacts, oh, I yeah. know. Corey, N0ECK. He sent a real nice note, and he said he finds that he finds my luddite cremogenism endearing and not condescending. Ooh. Thank That's you for good. that, Corey. Yes, very good. Uh, Steve N8NM sent us a really nice note. Reflections of an unbalanced amateur. <laughs> I got to read this one. At age 23, writes Steve N8NM. At age 23, I had the world by the tail. I'd recently got out of school and started my first job as a radio technician. Making little more than the minimum wage, I had a cool car and had just moved into my own place, a little two-bedroom bungalow near the lake in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. Because of my financial situation, I survived primarily on oatmeal, ramen noodles, and cheap beer, leaving nothing for such luxury items as furniture, the extent of which consisted of a couple of lawn chairs, an old twin bed, and the third-hand Naugahyde recliner that had been repaired using duct tape. Yeah, yeah. And here's the key line. But I had an S line and an R390A. Yeah. Balance is relative. Yeah. Those were some of the happiest times of my life. 7-3, Steve, N8NM. Got to have your priorities in order there, Steve. I guess you did at that time. Yeah, but he, he's also sent some pictures of stuff he's building today. Oh, oh man. Oh, he, and he, he's into hybrids. He's into yeah. into tubes and microcontrollers all mashed together. Beautiful. Beautiful rigs. Um, we got a message from um, Richard, 
uh, who's uh, a ham for a long time, ham since 1958, but he's got a call that's a lot younger, KD0NPM. Uh, he really liked the Solder Smoke book. He gave it to his son. And he asks me to explain I and Q, but he wants the explanation in what he calls a Faraday manner. Ooh. I think that's a nice way of putting Ooh. it. I know exactly what he means. Yes. You know, Far- Faraday had this very kind of practical, yeah. talk-through kind of approach. And Maxwell was the one who came in and gave up the equation. So I guess, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm much more inclined towards Faraday. Yeah, So we'll have to work on that. We may do that soon. Charlie, ZL2CTM, sent us pictures and details on a homebrew double sideband rig that he made. Why, you know, Australia, New Zealand seems to be the place for double sideband. It's really phenomenal. You got Peter Parker down there. You got ZL2BMI. I mean, that's a hotbed of, of, of double sideband. So, someone's got a kit from, from Australia I, for, for about yeah. 50 bucks, 60 bucks, something yeah. like that. Peter, Peter did some videos on that. Peter Parker, if you're interested in that, take a look at Peter Parker. VK3YE, his uh, his uh, YouTube uh, channel, very a lot of stuff there, including a review of the kit that you mentioned. Very good. Um, I mentioned Dino KL0S talked about the digi clock uh, frequency counter for the HQ100. Thanks for that, Dino. Always good to hear from you, Jim. WA8ZHN uh, sent us tales of 160 meter mobile. This is for you, Pete. Yeah, yeah. From the shores of Lake Erie, he thinks we might be we might be able to make the trip on 160, all the way to Northern Virginia. I think so. I was talking to the guys out in Ohio, uh, Jim. We got to try to get together on 160. Uh, Keith N6ORS. Oh man, he sent in a video, pictures of his fantastic Minax transceiver. Oh, nice. It's a mixture of the Minima and the Bidex. It's a Minax, and his exciting first contact with whales. And the call sign from the station in Wales, it was almost like, wow. It was like MW0WOW or something like that. Definitely very cool. Um, then we got a nice email from Kiran, VU3KPL. Uh, he heard of us through the QSO Today podcast of our friend Eric. Uh, and he, he learned about Farhan and the BidX from us. So good stuff. Good to hear you uh, from you, uh, Kiran. Let us know how, how your projects are going. Skip NC9O is um, enjoying our trials and tribulations. I told you, the people <laughs> love to hear about our suffering. Yeah, we, we enjoy it too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cathartic. Yeah. Um, Randy, AB5NI, is building an R2 receiver. And as I, may, I got a number of emails from guys who are working on this, this, this rig. Um, Dean, AC9JQ. Uh, who is one of our first homebrew to homebrew contacts? Good to hear from you, Dean. He's working on larger LCD displays. Good stuff. Uh, last last podcast, I mentioned uh, Peter, the guy who is trying to AM modulate the Michigan Mighty Mike. Cathode modulation, emitter modulation. That's right. I got his call sign wrong last time. I'll correct it this time. Peter, and I'm sorry, Peter. I almost got it wrong again. G6NGR. There you go. Nancy Golf Radio. Um, Good luck with that AM modulation project, um, uh, Peter. Stiff upper lip, mustn't grumble. You know, uh, you guys are, you know, who goes out in the noonday sun? There you go. Give it a try. Give it a go. That was Joe Cocker. That's right. Joe Cocker. Mad Dog's an Englishman. You didn't mention, That's you right. mentioned the album, but you didn't say who it was. And I, Joe yeah, Cocker. Yeah, but it's an old, but it's an old, uh, yeah. it, it's, it goes, it goes back to Noel Coward. Yeah, yeah. 
Joe Cocker stole it from Noel Coward. Joe Co Cocker and Leon Russell. There you go. All right. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, oh, Bob, N7SUR. You mentioned Bob. He writes, he begins the message. What have you done with the real N2CQR? <laughs> This guy who's talking about phasing rigs, ICs, is clearly not the guy that we were used to hearing about on the Sutter Smoke podcast, and he cautions me against continuing down again down that cold path unheated by filaments. He's got a nice phasing rig. You had it up on the block. He die. He does. He does. And then finally, uh, the final thing, I, and you well, not the final my thing, but you got you. Got, I know you've got a couple of one or two things to mention there too, Pete. I talked. I'm not going to give the call sign, but. I was talking to, I was actually on 17-meter sideband. I was talking to a fellow named Ken in Texas. And, uh, I mean, our folk, American hams, you know, when we talk to somebody on the air, you get a lot of information just from the accent. And you could tell when you're talking to somebody who's not from the big city, not from the East Coast. And I was talking to, to Ken out there in Texas and a very, very knowledgeable AM home brewer and we were having a good conversation about building stuff, but there was kind of a, I guess the way you put it, there was kind of a down-home element to his, 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 his speech, way of speech. And then we, we exchanged emails afterwards because I found his discussion of the AM transmitters so interesting. But then he said something to me that was really more interesting, and it was very much in keeping with what I just said. He said that he learned to solder from watching his dad repair the copper pipes on his whiskey still. Oh, <laughs> oh Sweat man. Soldering. Sweat that soldering. is good. Hey, that was man. an art. That was an I art. Know, that was I an know. art, man. I, I, no I know leaking. that Paul, uh, you know, Paul Darlington loves this kind of talk, this kind of stuff, because Paul has traveled across. He's traveled more through the United States than, than I have. Yeah, yeah. And, and he loves this kind of stuff. So, Wow, can you imagine that? Yeah. You, you got a guy and you said, that's a, that's a neck story. That's a different neck story. How did you learn to solder? He said, I watched my father repairing <laughs> copper pipes on his whiskey yeah, still. Yeah. Top that, Pete Giuliano. I, I, I can't, but, and, and I must apologize because uh, during the last three weeks, I just sort of been breezing through emails, but one caught my eye and it was that uh, smarter, solder smoke made the New York Times crossword puzzle. And, and the word that was in there was noodle. Uh, noodling, 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 yeah. And it was, and the, the cue was, I think, what was it? Creative thinking. Creative thinking, yeah. Noodling. Creative thinking, and the answer was noodling. Yeah, yeah. I, I just sat there amazed. Somebody's listening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll say to, say hello to the New York Times right, right. crossword puzzle designers. Yeah. Try to get some other words in there. Get the knack in. Yeah, there. yeah. Tries and trips. Tries and trips. Well, actually. Uh, what was it? You had a three T's in there. Tries, Tribs, and... Trig. Trig. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's TQ. only if you're working TQ. on a phasing, right? Yeah, TQ. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, one other thing. I have this book on the Challenge of 160 um, by Cy Dunn. It's, it's older. Uh, Steve Silverman has a copy, too. He's using it for his uh, project. I am missing pages... What page? Pages 52 and 53. 52 and 53. And if anybody has them, send them to me. Um, anyway, uh, I know Steve is going to be working on, on his 160-meter project, probably, I think, when the, when the weather gets a bit better. Um, let's see. What else? Isn't it, That's about it. Isn't there a guy in, in ON4 
John, it's a big 160 meter guy, big DXer. Oh, is it O and four UN or something like that? Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, and he's he's written quite a few books on that, so I, uh, you know, that might be worth taking a peek at. Uh, supposedly, he's done DXCC on 160. Yeah, <laughs> the next thing you know, you you got 22,000 feet. Yeah, in Northern John. Virginia. <laughs> Northern Virginia. <laughs> All right, Pete. Good luck with all your troubles there. Yeah, I hope everything you. gets better. I hope the rust comes off the soldering iron oh, soon. Oh, yeah. So do I, too. Sounds like things are going well. Yeah, get, get in better. There, buddy. Getting better. Hang in. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from the wilds of northern Virginia. Thanks a lot. You bet. Bye-bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!